Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. I only serve one God. One nation of the God. GG is my squad. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is Friday afternoon, February 5th, 2021. And today is a very special day because it is the pilot episode of the Amen Corner podcast. I am your main host. Like like her Franklin would say, your, your brother, your nephew, your friend, your, your, your man that walked the dog down the street uh, first and second Sundays when you at church. I'm kidding. Mike Purvis. My name is Mike Purvis, and I'll be the host of this great show. And alongside hosting with me is my good friend of how long have we been friends, bro? Yeesh, like over ten years now. It's, Jeez, it's gotta be, man. <laughs> <laughs> my good friend Joshua Powell. Introduce yourself, brother Josh. Yes, my name is Joshua Powell. Um, I am a Christian hip hop artist. Um, you know, definitely the co-host with my good friend. Michael Purvis, man, let's let's give a round of applause, y'all. So, I, I, I ain't like the fancy folks. I ain't got the uh, the podcast uh, the automatic claps. I'm gonna edit them in. <laughs> so, <laughs> as of right now, un- until we get until the Lord blesses us with some better equipment, praise the Lord. So, this is a show called the Amen Corner. This show is pretty much going to be covering a lot of um, trending topics and news that happens within the realms of the church, within the realms of the gospel and Christian music industries. We'll be looking at a whole bunch of different reformations, um, seeing what's been going on with them. And also, I really want this to be a atmosphere where that creates conversation about things that might need to be changed in the church, things that um, are experiences that we've had in the church as well. And that'll most likely be coming up within the next uh, few episodes. So, with that being said, how we're going to start off this podcast from here on out is we're going to start off with our two trending topics. Touch your neighbor say two trending topics, two trending topics, two trending topics. Why do we do that in church? Anyway, <laughs> um, so as you can, oh, before I get into that, as you can tell, um, Josh and I are not in the same room. We are, we do realize that it's a whole parallelogram out here. So, <laughs> so we are chatting over Zoom. We're keeping maintaining our social distance and we want to make sure that you all are doing the same wear your mask when you go out in public social distance wash your hands because it's real out here y'all like we in we are in a whole perpendicular like this john is crazy <laughs> but, Thanks. please be safe <laughs> so with that being said let's get into our trending topics the first trending topic is via the christian post and it is about a snake handling pastor no, I did not stutter. Yes, you heard that correctly. A snake handling pastor. Let me just read a little bit of the article. It says, seven years after snake handling pastor, Jamie Coots of National Geographic's popular Snake Salvation, which I have watched unashamedly, um, TV show, <laughs> died after he was bit by one of his snakes during a church service in his community of Appalachian Pentecostal snake handlers are now looking to Jesus and doctors for help with venomous snake bites. Let me pause there. That is huge because um, a lot of the people, so just to give a little bit of background on what a snake handling pastor is, um, there's a verse in the Bible, um, I think Jesus, yeah, Jesus did say it, where he said um, that 
These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak in new, in new tongues. And the verse continues to say that they shall pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it won't harm them. So these people have taken that verse of the Bible and literally applied it. Like they go into the woods of wherever they live. They go and specifically find venomous snakes specifically. Mm. They put them in cages and then they take them out and shout with them. They speak in tongues while they're holding a whole venomous snake. They even, um, I've even seen them take like things of poison or like, and they'll start to drink it and then start speaking in tongues. I was oh, like, no. right. Like that is some weirdo activity. So, um, pretty much how they feel is if I get bit, something's wrong with me. A lot of them believe that if they get bit, then they either a weren't in obedience to God or B they weren't cause they only, they, some of them only believe that they pick up the snakes if they are actually being influenced by the Holy ghost to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to go there on that. But, <laughs> so, most of them say, oh, if I get bit, then, then that was just me acting in the flesh. So they don't believe that if they get bit, then they should go and seek medical attention in the hospital. Because if, if they get bit, then God will heal them. Like, they just don't go at all. So this pastor that here, uh, what's his name? Jamie Coots. He was a very famous person for doing it. And actually, when I watched it, here's the part that got me. They were literally going across state lines and breaking laws to get these snakes. Because, you know, <laughs> the um, the game warden or what have you will um, will tell you, like, oh, you, you can't have venomous snakes. But they would literally cross state lines, go and sneak into the woods, or they would go find, um, like, a rattlesnake uh, merchant or whatever, and, like, go find them, and then get the snakes, bring them back, and literally, like, the, the guy, Jamie, the late Jamie Coots, went to jail and actually had to go to court multiple times <laughs> because oh, he kept <laughs> stealing the snakes. And then, boom, he ended up dying. So, that just goes to show you, man. It's just... You know, facts. I actually have something to say about that because it's kind of like a common sense thing. Like, you bring a, a snake to church? Exactly. Like, come on now. But... Here's the plot twist. Remember that video I sent you? Um, what was it? It was sometime when we were in like, the beginning of quarantine. And so since he's died, his son has taken over the church. Mm-hmm. And his son also got like a little special with um, with Vice magazine. or actually, no, I don't know if it was Vice TV or magazine. I don't know the actual termination. It's, it's slipping me now. But literally, like, he was... I saw him, he was holding up the snake and the snake bit him in the neck. He literally went to the hospital like he was swollen up and literally almost died. His sister has already died. Sheesh. <laughs> and like his, the assistant pastor of the church is like in jail now for like other stuff. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. That's, was not on my 2021 bingo card to be able to learn about snake handling pastors. But hey. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's just a common sense thing. Like, 
Why bring a like? Why bring a stick to church? Exactly. My thing is, I feel like you're tempting God if you do that, because in a right. in a certain way, and I think we I think we're gonna need to take an episode and actually talk about this. You can compare this to how people have acted now, as far as safety protocols and how it's going in church. You know, mm. you got people going in church in a whole perpendicular, going walking in, uh, packed in like sardines, no mask, no social distance, and it's just like it's scary. But when people confront them about it, it's just like, oh, we have faith, da 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 da, da. and it's just like, at some point you have to draw the line between having faith and tempting God, like. But right. That's a whole nother episode. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that in the next uh, up and coming weeks. So, the second trending topic I want to be able to cover is a Michigan pastor is accused of stealing money. Well, oh. according to the Christian Post, a Michigan man is facing felony charges after being accused of stealing eight hundred thousand dollars. I ain't talking about no little five dollars when you when they pass the collection plate and you go out and grab a little five for yourself. No, bro, eight hundred thousand dollars from his church in Grand Rapids, according to the Grand Rapids Police Department. Fifty-five-year-old Christian Byleth has been accused of stealing more than eight hundred and twelve thousand dollars from the Saint John's United Church of Christ between March of twenty fourteen until the end. Of 
that a interesting. Woman. But yeah, that is very, very, very interesting. cheated that's six figures you know how much ministry and all that stuff could have been added to the church as far as like first of all you know how much you have to take like individually to rack up and like get that much and steal that much like exactly that's what i'm you got to be able to make sure that like when you're a pastor you got people on your trustee boards the word the word trust is in the word trustee so you got to be able to trust people that are handling your money, that are actually handling the business of the church and make sure that they actually know the Lord. My dad says all the time, everybody that goes to church is not saved. That's true. <laughs> and that's, that's just, and that's, look, that's from the pulpit to the door. Right. <laughs> and, that's, and it's sad, but that's the world we live in now, man. Like you just don't know people as much as you think you do. And that's the sad part about it. You know, like, you could have imagined how much ministry they could have done, how how the other ministries in the church have been affected by this, how the church as a whole has been affected by this, how, like I said before, the the people who tithe the most in that church are probably concerned, the people who donate the most in that church are probably concerned. You know, it's it's a sad case. Fix it, Jesus. Fix it. Fix it, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Black History Month, which is the shortest month in the year. Coincidence? I think not, but that's another t- that's another topic for another day. But um, what I'm the goal I want to accomplish on here, as far as Black History Month, you know, a lot of the times we always hear about the same people, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, so what what have you. But um, since this is a church-oriented podcast, I wanted to be able to highlight some important. African American church figures as a part of Black History Month. And one of the first people that came to my mind when it came to doing this was to highlight um, the great Bishop William J. Seymour. Um, Bishop Seymour was born in Centerville, Louisiana on May 2nd, 1870, to former slaves Simon and Phyllis Seymour. He moved to Houston, Texas when he was and was pastored by Lucy Farrow who introduced him to Charles Parham. Charles Parham led a Bible college, and um, Lucy Farrow invited William Seymour to attend the Bible college and to attend some of uh, Charles Parham's lectures. However, because of the Jim Crow segregation laws, Seymour had to sit and listen to Parham's lectures while sitting apart from the other students. I think I read somewhere that he actually had to sit outside of the door and listen through the door to the lectures that people were, um, that Parham was giving because in segregation, they wouldn't even let him inside. Yeah. 
But wait, question. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, Charles Parham, right? Was he? Was he a um? Like, so you said Jim Crow laws. So, like, basically, he wasn't allowed to actually like be present in the class, yeah. like in the actual Bible class. Yeah. As far as I um, as far as I have researched, William Seymour could not actually, like I said, he could not sit in the same space as the other students and receive the lecture. He actually had to sit outside and listen through the outside to what Parham was saying. Mm. So Parham was one of the first early teachers about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the belief that in every instance, God would give intelligible languages, also as we know it now as speaking in tongues, to believers for missionary evangelism. Seymour agreed with that mm. doctrine. He picked it up, and he began to preach that doctrine. Um, a few years after that, he is invited to lead a church in Los Angeles, California. Um, and there, he began to preach the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a interesting part in history because this is when we first start hearing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what have you, but people had not fully accepted that teaching yet. People were beginning to accept the holiness teaching as, as far as like um, the works of grace and the works of repentance and what have you, but people didn't really accept you know, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the speaking, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. People weren't teaching that yet. So literally because that teaching was not well received, two days after he moved to Los Angeles and began that church, somebody padlocked it. They locked the church up so that Bishop Seymour and the members of his church couldn't go in it. So, Bishop Seymour said all right and began to hold prayer meetings and services within the homes of his members. And the first manifestations of the Holy Spirit began at 214 North Bonnie Bray Street. So that's really where it began. And then the Lord led them a few years later to be able to build a church, which was known as the Apostolic Faith Mission. And that's where the main part of the Azusa Street Revival began. Um, from the, via the Assemblies of God, Frank Balderman, a participant of the movement, stated that Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty shoeboxes. I thought this was really interesting. One on top of the other. He usually kept his head inside of the top one during the meeting in prayer. There was no pride there. In that old building with its low rafters and bare mm. floors, God took strong men and women to pieces and put them together again for his glory. The religious ego preached its own funeral sermon quickly. So Bishop Seymour was so humble that literally he would cover his face with a shoebox while he was praying because he didn't want it to be about him. I wish some of us would get that, but that's another thing. That's another subject for another day. That's humble. That's not humble. So eventually what culminates out of all of this is the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival happens, people come. I was, I was reading somewhere, somebody else did another f- subject on Facebook. They said that the power was so heavy there that people would fall out blocks before they hit the church. People would start speaking in tongues blocks before they hit the church. Amputations would grow back. People would get out of wheelchairs. People would come from different countries and, they, and somebody would start speaking. If, let's say somebody from Germany came and somebody, the Holy Spirit will move on somebody and they will begin to speak in German to the person. 
and they will be able to exactly hear what they were saying. So this is one of the greatest revivals to ever happen in modern day America. So what is the legacy of Bishop William Seymour? So like I said, the Azusa revival was the catalyst of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. For example, I'm a third generation member of the Church of God in Christ. The Church of God in Christ started because our founder, Bishop Mason, went to the Azusa Street Revival and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And most of, if not all, of every Pentecostal, every charismatic denomination can somehow and some way trace their ties to, or trace their roots, I should say, to the Azusa Street Revival. Now, People, here's here's also the the uh, amazing thing about the Azusa Street Revival. There was no racial segregation at all in that church. Blacks, whites, mm. uh, Hispanics, everybody, every race, every ethnicity came together, and they worshipped God together. And that was really that's, that's really like the biggest thing as far as impact goes. But also, as I continue to read this article that came from the um, Assemblies of God page, it says, Meanwhile, in late summer 1906, Charles Parham, the same person who taught Seymour about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, began leading another Pentecostal revival in Zion City, Illinois, among the followers of the nationally known faith healer John Alexander Dowie. Not until October did Parham leave for California, hoping to consolidate the faithful in Los Angeles with the wider network of the apostolic faith believers, and second, to harness what he considered to be an unbridled religious enthusiasm. As it happened, the emotional worship, and particularly the mingling of whites and blacks together, deeply offended him, and Parham laid the blame at Seymour's feet. So he came trying to start another revival, and he came to Seymour's revival, and he got mad because blacks and whites in indifference were worshiping together. So he was so racist mm. that he couldn't see past the move of the Holy Ghost. And yeah, so that is a great segue into our main topic for this episode. As you can tell, we have called it the Evangelical Madhouse. If you've been paying attention to the news, if you've been paying attention to news reports or anything, you've definitely heard the term evangelical or the term evangelical church. Where does that term come from? Well, if you look at the word gospel as it's um, translated in the Greek, it is, I think, evangel or something like that. I don't I don't know the, the actual translation of it. So, Essentially, between that translation and the Latin translation, um, the term was originally coined by Martin Luther to describe all of the non-Catholic and Protestant reformations that were bursting on the scene after he um, separated himself from the Catholic Church. Now, the term began to be embraced during the Great Awakening, which happened more so around the 1700s and 1800s, where um, you had a lot of fire and brimstone preachers that were coming on the scene. Now, it really does not come into the um, full-blown mainstream American platform until President Jimmy Carter. 
because President Jimmy Carter was the first U.S. president to identify himself as a evangelical born-again Christian. So that's when we really get the main gist of, or well, that's when we really begin to see evangelicals come on the scene. And really, that's really also where we begin to see the conservative Christian audience come to the scene. Now, if we look at evangelicals, if we go, let's see, Jimmy Carter was the 70s, so let's go, let's get two decades. And now we're in the 90s. So, one of the big things, one of the big um, goals that the evangelical church had was, uh, I, won't say it was a <clears throat> I won't say it was a goal, but it was more so a lot of the doctrine that had began to be preached was the doctrine of racial reconciliation which really started to begin talks about how do we heal the race, the racism issue that is plaguing our country today. So in some sectors, it began to take flight and actual important dialogue came up out of this. However, there was a big majority, and this, still, and this is still prevalent today, but there was a big majority of evangelicals who did not see racism as a priority. Most of them just thought that, you know, they are just here to preach the gospel, and that's about it. And the other reason why it did not work out as much is because at the end of the day, there was still a large political gap. Most black evangelicals were still voting Democrat. Most white evangelicals were still voting Republican. And this is where we somewhat begin to start seeing as far as individuals saying, you know, and I think I've said this to you before, Josh, where you hear people say, oh, I don't care whether you're black, white, blue, green. We're all the same in the presence of God. And that sounds good and to a certain extent is right. But <clears throat> here's my take on that. Exactly. There are certain issues that happen in the white community that don't happen in the black community. There are issues that happen in the black community that don't happen in the Hispanic community. And at times, as we see now, those issues can be life-threatening. So it is hard for me as an individual to be going through these things in my community and then to be able to come into a church where... A, the rhetoric of my oppressor is still being spewed. And B, where my issues and the things that are going on in my community are not addressed in the way that they should be addressed. Now, please don't take this as a thing where I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, only black people should worship together. Only white folks should worship together. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that if you do have a multicultural church, you do have the responsibility to attack the issues that happen in the communities of the individuals that you pastor. That's all I'm saying about that. So, <clears throat> as we continue, and we get into nowadays, we get into the this new decade that we're in now, and more so towards the end of the 2010s, we see the rise of President Trump. And now, what is befuddling to a lot of individuals is to see the wide array of evangelical support that President Trump receives. Now, we see it here and 
I think across the first few years of Trump's presidency, we saw it, but I don't think it really registered with a lot of us. Like, the gravity of what was happening, it was just like, why are all of you guys here with Trump? Like, y'all are weirdos. But as soon as we got into 2020, we began to see the creation of the Madhouse. So when we get into this election, and here's the part that I really, that really got under my skin, we begin to see a lot of evangelical prophets. And when I say prophets, I'm spelling it P-R-O-F-I-T-S, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, because in my opinion, they are not real prophets. <laughs> Let's be real. Right. We are seeing these individuals go on their specific platforms and say, Thus saith the Lord, Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. I think I seen an article or something like that. You probably have it. Or like not an article. It was a um, what was it? It was an Instagram video, and it was this guy. I for, I, I forgot who it was. I think it was not. I don't think it was that. I think it was Facebook. I think it was on Facebook, and he was saying Donald Trump will be the next. Like he is going to be the president, and this and that. And he was saying how um what was it so he was basically saying that um because like joe biden's in office that means he's in office or like it, it was a weird video i gotta watch it again to actually like see like exactly what he was saying but he was trying to say that donald trump is the actual president still and i'm like bro like bro like he lost like it's common sense he's trying to and i feel like he was trying to use god trying to say like oh like joe biden gonna be joe biden's not president this and that blah 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 it's crazy. And it's crazy, bro. Exactly. And that's really where my gripe comes. Because I would have been alright if they took the stance that personally I believe that Donald Trump will be president. Or even if they said I predict or I believe that Donald Trump will be president. I would, personally speaking, I would have been fine with that because at the end of the day, that's your political opinion. And that's how you feel. But to say, thus saith the Lord, Trump is going to be president, and then we see how the election turns out, and here's the, here's the part that is just so bewildering. They are not apologizing for saying this. You have individuals that are saying that, oh, the election was stolen, and because the election is stolen, my prophecy is right. No, bro. You are still in the wrong. And this is the problem that I have with the evangelical church. Is that they have lifted their whiteness and white nationality over the responsibility that God has given them. At the end of the day... What it's coming to, like, I, for example, I'm on Instagram, right? And I see this video of a woman who is using Trump's flag as a prayer shawl and wrapping it over somebody talking about, oh, this is the spirit of the, of the office of the president or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> and they have literally taken no, this man. That's foolish. Exactly. That's the thing, like, that's actually crazy because um, last night I was actually in Bible study. And um, like we were talking specifically about prayer. Um, we were just talking about how prayer is so important. And I forgot, I think I have it in my notes, but literally 
you know, what people do is that, like, people don't use common sense sometimes. Like, for example, let's say, um, like, you know for a fact, you know the answer already, but you're just being foolish, you're being disobedient, you're just trying, like, like, literally, like, let's say, for example, like, I know for a fact, like, for a fact, Donald Trump is not the president of the United States anymore. Exactly. He's, he's, he's out of office. He's not there. It's Joe, it's Joe Biden. He's in office, right? So, literally, it's like praying that, Lord, like, I pray that, you know, that um, Joe Biden gets out of office, like, Joe Biden gets out of office, or, like, I pray that Donald Trump is already the president right now. When, in truth case, in common sense, he's not the president right now. So at this point, it's like, why are they using a Trump, Trump, um, Trump, uh, what you call it, Trump? Flags. Is that what you're flag. Why are you using the Trump flag to cover somebody, like, and say it's the spirit of Trump that he's going to be president? Like, that sounds foolish. That is foolery. That's known foolery. But you know what it is, bro? It is a bad combination of white nationalism and idolatry. If we, mm-hmm. if we think about it, let, let, let's be clear. And I, I'm glad we're doing a podcast so I can actually like somewhat speak freely. But if we really think about it, Donald Trump was the physical embodiment of the characteristics of America that we've been trying to hide for years. Mm. The blatant racism, the, the elitism, all of the stuff that you see that was part of him was he was a physical manifestation a physical manifestation of the characteristics of America that we have tried to hide and that same spirit that he carries resonates with evangelicals that same spirit of nationalism that same spirit of white supremacy resonates within the evangelical church and they have put him on the pedestal and they have Cause see, so many people say, "Oh, I don't get why. I don't get why." Because these folks are white supremacists. I hate the one, and that's the part that is just so messed up about it. Is because these are individuals, and Josh, you can agree to this. These, it, as far as going up in the church, these are individuals that have been on our televisions, that we've watched, we've bought their books, we've bought their products, we've been to their conferences, and now all of a sudden. It is disheartening to see them blatantly come out. Like, for example, my grandmama used to watch Kenneth Copeland all the time. I'm talking about my, um, not my maternal grandmother, my paternal grandmother. She used to watch Kenneth Copeland all the time. And it's disheartening to come out here and see him laughing or trying to laugh off the fact that Joe Biden became president. I think, for example, I was just talking to my mom. I walked in my mom's Paula office. White. Oh, yeah, Paula White, too. That whole, oh, right. yeah. that, I think, are her African angels still um, trying to? <laughs> <laughs> they might have got right. lost. They might have got lost. That GPS said recalculating. <laughs> right. They, they, they still stuck in church. Strike, strike, strike. Hey, them, them travel bans Trump put in probably uh, got them out the way. He, she she should have said um, some of the countries that uh, Trump was saying aren't asshole countries. He should have came down in the found Denmark, right. some, uh, some Denmark angels, some, some European angels, something. Good Lord. Right. <laughs> but anyway, like, for example, I walk into my mom's office the other day, and my mom used to really listen to Jensen Franklin a lot. 
But as far as mm-hmm. but some of you may know that Jensen Franklin's son actually worked in Trump's office. Uh, Jensen Franklin was at the Republican National Convention. Jensen Franklin has showed his support of Donald Trump. And my mom had one of his books about fasting. And you know what she did when I came in the office, Josh? She said, take that Jensen Franklin book and put it in the trash. <laughs> and that's exactly what she did. She said, hand me that book. Yeah. And she tossed it right in the trash because it's just like, at some point, it, at some point, a lot of us have feel like the evangelical church has completely sold out to Donald Trump. And it's just a sad sight to see. It is such a sad sight to see. So, with that being said, I want to... I don't want us to go across these um, topics and our main... As far as as our main topics and just get up here and talk about nothing. I want us to be actually be able to come out of this with somewhat having a solution to what we see now. So, at every... When we we do this podcast, every time we come across our... um, our main topic, I want to ask a million dollar question. So this is the question is basically, what do we take out of all of this? What do we learn from all of this? And the million dollar question today is what steps must the body of Christ take in order to aid in the healing of the nation? The first thing I said that has to happen is that America must fully acknowledge its dark past. Let's let mm. I saw a video on Twitter that said that slavery was 400 years. Well, that's pretty much almost all of American history, if we're being real. Because you think about it, it, it didn't really end up. Slavery ended and we were four decades away from the 1900s. And even after that, we had to deal with reconstruction, segregation. Even today, we're still dealing with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was also looking at um, this is I'm gonna this is gonna sound unrelated, but I'm gonna make it relate. I was watching a video of Stefan Diggs, right? And Stefan Diggs, he's a um, for those of you who all don't who don't know who Stefan Diggs is, he's a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. And essentially, so many people have been telling athletes nowadays, as far as them speaking up on racial injustice, just to shut up and play the football or shut up and dribble. And pretty much, Stefan Diggs said that now is not the time. And we are not in an age where you can continue to shut up and dribble. I say to the church, I say to pastors, I say to preachers, you cannot just now, nowadays, you cannot just not talk about race. You can't not just talk about what's going on. Because people are being affected on both sides. And people need to know that if we are really going to be able to get to the racial reconciliation, we cannot get past racial reconciliation without acknowledging the racism. And that was the problem that happened in the 90s. So many people wanted to talk about racial reconciliation and just say, forget about it. But you cannot do that if you truly want to heal. To this day, the United States of America has not formally apologized as far as uh, as far as slavery goes, because you even think about what came, and I'm not counting what came out in 2008, what they put in the Congress, because they said at the end of that, that America wasn't responsible. America needs to fully accept, especially those Congress people that sit in buildings that our ancestors built, that we have a racism problem in this country, and we have had it in this country. And mm. that 
is the only potential way that we will be able to reach healing is if we fully acknowledge what we do. It's just like when we go to God. You will never fully get healed unless you come out and actually say what's going wrong. What is the some of us, you know, we go to pray to God and we don't fully talk about what we what we're going through. But when we fully talk about it is when we fully get our healing from it. You know, that that that's what we have to do as a country. And the second thing I feel like we have to do as a country is that then this is so important. I feel like leaders, preachers, pastors, apostles, bishops, chief potentates, whatever you want to call yourself. Leadership must commit to taking a neutral stance in the pulpit so that they can be able to call out injustices on both sides of the aisle. You cannot just talk about the issues of abortion and homosexuality and not talk about the issue of racism. And you cannot just sit here and see things from a leftist perspective and not talk about things that are going on in general. If that makes sense. You have to be able to stand and say, Republicans, you're wrong about this. Democrats, you're wrong about this. Independents, you're wrong about this. We have to understand as the church that God is not Republican. God is not Democrat. God is not independent. He does. He is bigger than our finite political um, ideologies. He's, 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 too, he's too big to be cramped up in our small finite ideologies. And there is more there is more on the mind of God than abortion. I could run right there. There is more on the mind of God than the issue of homosexuality. I could also run right there. There are real issues and there are real things that are happening in our communities that aren't being talked about and aren't being solved. Does not the Bible say that all unrighteousness is sin? So if we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna have to talk about it across the board. Evangelical preachers, evangelical pastors, stop idolizing Trump. Because at the end of the day, every time an individual has put their trust in something in besides God, that thing that they put their trust in has failed them. You think about it. Trump lost. They put their trust in him. You know? It, it happens like clockwork. I, I don't care how much you love or how much you believe that he is God's man, which is all right. But <laughs> I, I don't, you have to be able to call out the injustices on both sides of the aisle. So with that being said, Josh, what do you think? What steps must the body of Christ take in order to aid the healing of the nation? You muted, bro. Sorry about that. What's the, what the question again? So you basically said, so um, what, steps, what is the main take when it comes to, you know, uh, United States? I'm right? saying what steps must the body of Christ take in order to aid in the healing of the nation? In aid of the healing of the nation? Hold on. Like, Hold definitely. On. I'm sorry. I don't know. Y'all forgive me. My grandma liked to use this house phone as her cell phone. You know, it's her friend's call. 
That's that's the joy about podcasts. One take is all we do. So you get the real authentic us. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no, right. Ain't no <laughs> so, go ahead and answer your question now, bro. All right. So, what I feel like the body of Christ has to do, like, we all definitely need to be in prayer. Like, for a fact. Because it's like, you know, you know prayer is definitely very important. It's, it's especially, like, with... I'm just, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, bro. Uh, but basically, like, I feel like prayer is definitely very important when it comes to this nation. Like, we all have to come together and actually, you know, pray. Because it's, it's, it's like, it's like, okay, but, like, we're going through a lot of stuff in this world. We're in a whole pandemic. We're an entire, um, we're, 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 we're going through a lot right now. You know, with political, like, with political things, with, like, the church, with, like, you know, um, some of the evangelicals, like, out here really, you know, saying Trump this, Trump that, and, you know, it's like they have it's like they have problems we got to pray for those specific people as well and you know we might not you know like with certain people like I mean, everybody has political views everybody has specific political views but still like i feel like prayer is definitely what's going to help our nation and just making sure that we just apply everything that we learn from like god for real because that's really it like, prayer is very key so everybody just need to pray Exactly. We need to stop arguing and pray. And I think that's a great way for us to wrap this up. Well, it has been fun. And I think this went well. So we will see you again, same time, Friday at 3. We will be here again. This is once again the Amen Corner. Thank you for hanging out with us on our pilot episode. My name is Michael Purvis. And my name is Joshua Powell. You guys have a great weekend and stay safe because the Rona is real. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your back. Serving God, I'm glad. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your back. Serving God, I'm glad. I only serve one God. One nation of the God. GG is my squad. The Bible is the law.